outbound legion, cold email, it sort of obfuscates a bigger problem, which is the fear that entrepreneurs have, especially new entrepreneurs, of going out to the market and selling. Hey, podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. Hey, yo, welcome to the podcast. We are back. Today, we are going to talk about something that every business has in common. You got to make sales. And in order to make sales, you got to find leads. We're going to talk with some people who specialize in that. And not only that, we're going to have a little bit of a debate, a back and forth between the two dominant forms of lead generation. I'm sure you noticed in our forum, The Dynamite Circle, there has been a passionate debate about these, quote, polar opposite or what look to be on the surface polar opposite ways of generating leads for your business. Were you surprised that this was a hot button issue? Yeah, I guess I didn't realize that it was so polarized. I kind of thought that intuitively you wouldn't have a position on this, I guess. So the two sides of the debate are this, Ian. On the one side, you have an approach that says creating a remarkable business, one that will be spread by word of mouth is going to generate better leads and ones that are more qualified in the end. And on the other side of the debate, you have people who say things like cold outreach, advertising, sending unprompted emails to people that target them and ask them to consider your services is a great way to grow a business. So for fun, we thought we'd speak with some experienced email outreachers and chime in with a little bit of commentary as we go along. The idea here, Ian, is not to come down on one side or the other, but to inspire everyone listening here to go grow your business, whether it's by creative word of mouth marketing or by cold outreach. Go grow that business. That's my message. But let's talk to some people who focus on this full time and hopefully get some ideas on the different approaches involved. Are you up for it, boss man? I'm up for it. I think I have an opinion, though. Am I going to get to share that later on in the show? You will have your chance nice. now that you're back to work. Okay. Let's introduce Team Email Outreach. I'm Dan Englander, and I'm the founder and CEO of Sales Schema, and we're a consultancy that helps larger ad agencies win more business, basically. We do email, we do phone calls, we do LinkedIn, whatever it takes to get prospects to agree to talk to our clients. I'm Dana Lindahl. I'm the CEO and founder of Legendary Lead Gen, and we help other marketing agencies to get in touch with their ideal prospects so they can set appointments and close more sales. Is it fair to say that you guys have pretty similar businesses? Pretty similar, yeah. Yes. Can you help me to understand like where you guys exist in the marketplace? Yeah, for us, you know, we're working with, I'd say, agencies, roughly 50 to 200 people. And the challenges that they have are that they don't have enough time to sell or they're not good at it or they don't know how to do it. And they want somebody to essentially get them prospects in a systematic way. Dana, I'll let you chime in, but we solve similar problems, I think. We do. We do. 
I think Dan has more of a, a multi-channel outreach program, and we're strictly focused on, on email. But we also work with mostly agencies that are less than 50 people. I think one major differentiator is that we primarily get paid on commission for the sales that our clients make. It's actually a new program that we launched at the end of last year instead of charging by the lead. So that's one of the main things that I think we're doing differently than a lot of other agencies doing this type of work. How do you charge your clients, Dan? We charge them in dollars and upfront. And ultimately, you know, we're helping them win at least one client. And the client values for the people we're going after are going to be six to seven figures. And it takes a lot to get those type of people on the line, to get those people to agree to talk. So, you know, I think Dana's got a great offer. I'd love to be able to do something similar. But the amount of investment it would take for us to do that is, is quite a bit. And honestly, these people are, are used to investing a lot to um, grow the size of their business. I mean, it's pretty important for them. So that's, that's kind of where we're at. What like annoys you guys about your business model? Because I think it's fair to say that one of the reasons that your business model is interesting is because you guys have entrepreneurial skills and those can be so quickly and efficiently monetized by this business model. It's got to be something that like annoys you about the business model. Like what keeps you up at night about this business model, Dan? I think that for right now in the very short term, it's having to be on lots of sales calls myself and having to spend a lot of my time to make that happen. And there is a path to get salespeople doing it, but it's, it's sort of a long road, I think. To get good salespeople on board, it takes a lot of time training and takes a lot of investment. So right now, in the short term, that's the thing that annoys me most. In the long term, you know, there's moving parts. I think there's lots of people involved. It's not like this automated machine, although people like to sell it that way. The same question goes to you, Dana, which is, what's the downsides of running a lead cultivation or lead generation business? I would say, honestly, one of the big things that frustrates me about the business model is that we both work with marketing agencies and a lot of other marketing agencies have tried out a service like ours in the past. And, you know, we send out cold emails to get clients for ourselves as well. And one of the common responses that I get to these cold emails is, hey, I worked with an agency like you guys in the past and it was an awful experience. They didn't generate any leads for us and they charged us a ton of money and then ran off with it. And some people are like, I don't even want to talk to you. And some people are like, I'll hear what you have to say, but I have to let you know I'm very skeptical. I see. So it's one of these things where it's like, I feel like I'm, you know, usually fighting an uphill battle just for the fact that there's a lot of, you know, noise going on in, in the lead generation industry and, you know, trying to overcome that and show people that we do provide the value that we're claiming to provide and being able to show that. It was also one of the reasons that I decided to go for this more commission-based model to, you know, put my ass on the line as well and show people that I'm willing to, you know, take some risk because I believe in the model. What I want to start with, Dan, is I want to start with you because you started a conversation that at the time didn't seem like a controversial conversation and ended up being one. And I want to talk a little bit about that. But first, the title of your post was Why Outbound Lead Generation Fails. Can you just describe to us before we begin what you mean by outbound lead generation? It's essentially going right out to the market and, and reaching out, out to people, you know, knocking on their doors to win new business as opposed to doing things like creating content or putting out advertising or any, any number of inbound to lead generation methods to get business. So, you know, what outbound could mean is it could be calling people, it could be emails common, it could be reaching out to them on LinkedIn, even direct mail as an example. Dana, is that what you were referring to when you said cold email? Yes. Well, Dan, he, you know, runs the gamut through all different types of outbound practices. 
my company specifically focuses on email as a channel. So we send out cold emails, but we do personalize them and make sure that it doesn't, you know, the goal here, both for myself and for Dan's company is to make this look like you sent these emails from one person to another person. You don't want it to look like, you know, you sent the same email to a hundred people. So you do this by looking into a little bit more information about your prospects and actually, you know, speaking to them like they're real people and not like they're just a name in a spreadsheet. I think that that's changing a little bit. There's more and more people that that I observe in my business that know that it's not one-to-one. And if the offer is still compelling enough, they don't really care. It's sort of becoming more and more commonplace for people to understand that it might be sent in bulk, but it seems to matter less and less. At the highest levels then, what are some of those things that people are doing to make these campaigns successful, even if they don't maybe appear to be a one-on-one email? You know, essentially what I wrote is a very tactical post and where, you know, there's lots of things you can do to make it successful. And there's really not this one size fits all template. I think I took it more from a negative slant, which is, you know, what are people doing wrong when it doesn't go right? Because that's a lot more easy to identify. And I think the first point is technical issues, just all sorts of boring technical stuff. Things not the gear is not being set up right is the main thing. From there, it's you know really targeting. You're going after the wrong people. You're going after people that you know just aren't right for your value proposition. And then beyond that, it's it's the message, just what you're saying to people. Dana, can you give some examples of the types of cold outreach that actually work? Because maybe one of the reasons that this is a controversial topic is that. As marketers, we're all the targets of so much cold marketing, and a lot of it is very uncompelling or just plain annoying. Yeah, for sure. I, I think the best way that I can answer that question kind of follows along with what, what Dan said is to lay out what are people doing wrong. And a lot of people, you know, particularly in the DC, will approach me and say, hey, Dana, can you check out my cold email campaign and tell me why it's not converting? And in almost all cases, when I take a look at things, the main things that I see is people reach out and they're very inwardly focused on themselves, why their company is so great, why they're so good at what they do, and why they should be hired by the person who's receiving the email. And we take a very different approach with our emails. In fact, we don't even generally mention the product or the service being offered directly in the email. And we don't really talk much about the company that's sending the email at all. We prefer to focus on the prospect themselves. And of course, we are automating these emails. So how we do this is we like to mention things, you know, common pain points that exist within their industry. Because you can, you know, write one sentence or one thing for one industry and, you know, do that over and over again for several industries and use that again and again. So, you know, show that we're actually doing a little bit of research and we know what's going on in the industry, the things that they're struggling with. As an example, if a company is selling SEO services and we reach out and we say, hey, do you need help with SEO? We can get you to the top of Google and it'll be great. You know, no one really responds back to this. These are the types of emails that, you know, everyone has been getting when you sign up for a GoDaddy account for years. (laughs) Right. And we take a different approach. You know, we reach out and we talk about the results that we provide or that our clients provide, because that's the perspective that the recipient is thinking in. They're thinking not about what service do I need to buy, but what do I need to do within the business? What do I need to achieve? So we like to reach out to people and we discuss things like increased revenue, gaining more customers, making more sales, decreasing advertising costs, things like that. The types of things that apply to a lot of businesses and almost every business after. And these are the types of things that make people's ears perk up, give them a dopamine hit, whatever, you know, drives people. So this makes it easier not only to produce the leads, but it also makes the sales process much easier. Now they can get on the phone and listen like a good salesman does 
and hear out their problems, hear what they're struggling with, provide custom solutions on the fly that include more upsells and more services and, and more things like this, they can really provide something of value even if the person doesn't buy from them, they still generally leave the call better off than when they started. And it makes it a whole lot easier. Yeah. Let me jump on the back of some of the things that Dana's saying here. I think that cold email outreach, like cold calling, cold billboards on the side of the highway, whatever. A lot of these things get bad raps, particularly cold outreach on the internet because they're so cheap to do. So you can do them really crappily, you know? And when you look at the other side of the aisle, like doing more magnetic marketing or more permission marketing, like we're doing here at the podcast, those things are harder to do cheaply, generally speaking. It's not always the case. But so it's sort of like they're both tools you can use, but one gets a bad rap because it's abused more often. Yeah, I think over the years, you know, we first started getting abused by the telephone. People would call unsolicited and then they started emailing unsolicited. But, you know, I can think of a lot of scenarios, especially when I'm in public, where I'm basically getting pitched products that I didn't ask to be pitched, you know, like you said, like billboards or on the side of a bus or things like that. And I don't think we find those as intrusive because they're not stealing our attention in the same way, but they're in front of my face and I have to consider them. With respect to that, I think that a lot of outreach, a lot of cold emails and whatnot are intrusive in that way. And we have to decide for ourselves whether or not we're going to filter them out. You know, that being said, some of those things I appreciate, some of these things I hadn't considered before. I'm like, oh, interesting. That new Jaguar does do zero to 60 in three and a half seconds. Maybe I should go check that out. Maybe you write to somebody and you say, hey, like we were at the same conference last week. I noticed that your company is aiming to you know, do more business in Hong Kong. And like, that's what my business focuses on is helping people like you. Would you want to jump on a call next week and talk about it? Maybe we could talk through some of your problems. I mean, that to me is more interesting than someone saying like, read my 35 page ebook on how to do business in Hong Kong. This issue of personalization and targeting, if you get it right, it can be extremely powerful and effective marketing. Dan, one of the other things that we've touched on in the show actually came up when we had Corey on my deal mentor, one of the things that he discussed is authenticity and figuring out a way to connect with people. And I think that that's where cold outreach goes wrong a lot of times. Like you said, because people have figured out a way to do it so cheaply, like they have a call center in the Philippines and they just have this robot calling you. It's so tempting. And people do it with the other form of marketing too, remarkability marketing and content marketing. It's so tempting just to hit that easy button, right? And say, oh, I'm going to pay so-and-so to generate a bunch of junk and I'm going to junk up the internet with it. <laughs> right. I think one thing that became clear for me though, Ian, it doesn't matter what side of the aisle your perspectives on or your marketing practices are on, but that effective marketing isn't easy. It will require effort and investment. Today's show is sponsored by Empire Flippers. They're the leading specialist in helping entrepreneurs buy, 
sell, and invest in online businesses. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, Empire Flippers integrated, dedicated teams make sure that you're supported at every stage in the process. And they have a huge audience and great contacts in the industry. So for sellers, you're going to secure a higher price than if you were to sell privately. And if you're a buyer, they're going to save you a ton of time and money by carefully vetting all the businesses on their marketplace. So whether you're looking to buy or sell anything from $20,000 up to seven figures, check out empireflippers.com slash TMBA. And if you go there, you can save yourself 300 bucks. That's because today for TMBA listeners, the Empire Flippers have offered a free business valuation, which normally costs $300. So if you're looking to acquire a business, new offerings are posted every Monday morning. So that's empireflippers.com slash TMBA. And a huge thanks to the team over at Empire Flippers for supporting the TMBA podcast. Dan, when you posted this post, did you think that you would get pushback or people stirring up a bit of controversy about all these tactics you were laying out? Not at all. I was really surprised. And I thought it was a pretty boring tactical post. And I was just hoping to you know, get some feedback on it. But you know, I'm glad that it was controversial because I think it's a really important conversation. And the reason I think it's important is because I think that outbound lead gen, cold email, it sort of obfuscates a bigger problem which is the fear that entrepreneurs have, especially new entrepreneurs, of going out to the market and selling. But the bottom line is, you know, unless you have something that's low, very low investment that doesn't require a sales process, maybe something online, everything else that's roughly over a thousand bucks is going to require somebody getting on the phone or meeting someone else in order to sell it. And I've seen, you know, businesses fail. And usually when it comes down to it, it's because the people were scared to sell or they just didn't maintain a sales process. They weren't working their pipeline and then the money dries up. So I think that it's, it's a little bit dangerous to have these ideas floating around that, hey, you're somehow doing something wrong by going out to your market and engaging them. So that's why I think it's an important conversation. I'm glad that we're having it. Can you relate to that? I can. I used to before every single sales call that I got on say, nope, this person doesn't want to buy my product. I'm just going to not do the sales call. And it took me a long time to get over that. And as Dan, you know, I'm an extremely extroverted guy. I still have this struggle to get on the phone and, you know, talk to people who I've never met before and convince them that what I have to offer is a value. I know that it is, but convincing yourself of this is, is hard and building up this confidence. So for people who don't already have it, I think some of these ideas can be detrimental to the entrepreneurial spirit, even if they're meant in a, in a good spirit in terms of more morality or ethics or whatever is behind the, the philosophy that's being presented here. I'll mention some quotes that were responded to in the forum and get your guys' thoughts on them. And I quote, the fundamental mistake you make with outbound campaigns is to broadcast and to spam. You may avoid the legal definition, but you fail the intuitive ethical definition of spam which is actually what your buyers care about. So Dan, what did you think when you heard this argument that it's essentially unethical to interrupt people and to take their time to review your offer? So Seth Godin came up with this idea that the best marketers are getting permission first. You know, In order to market to them, you're getting people to opt into something or to, to give you some sort of tacit permission to, to essentially to market to them. I think that the irony with it and the, the problem is that in order to get permission, you kind of have to interrupt people in some shape or form. And I think that 
advertising, especially to the degree that advertising is kind of following us around everywhere and it's getting more and more Orwellian, I think that that's also invasive. I think that's also an interruption in, in some way. If you're on Facebook and you see an ad while you're looking at your niece's baby pictures, I think it's splitting hairs to say that that's more of an interruption than sending a highly targeted outbound email. With that in mind, I mean, if you don't want to spam, then don't send spam. If you're making a very highly targeted list of people that could really benefit from what you're selling, I don't consider that spam. Beyond that, I mean, you could think of the most dramatic example. And I won't say that this is what everyone's doing, but if you were selling you know, a medicine that saves someone's lives, they'd probably appreciate you proactively reaching out to them about it. Beyond that, it's all shades of gray. One of the things that occurred to me is, as marketers, it's easy to assume that everybody else is a marketer. Have you ever watched somebody open a cold email and like read it with relish and rapture? I'm sure you guys have. I mean, there are people who do appreciate getting targeted sales messages from service providers. With respect, Dan, I think that that point of view also hits on another thing that is a barrier to people being effective in sales, which is putting themselves in the place of, of their prospect. Because the thing is, you know, we're all coming at this with all of our backgrounds and all everything that we're predisposed to and all of our experiences. And we really get in our own way. You know, we say, this wouldn't appeal to me. I would never read an email like this, blah, blah, blah. And I've just seen so much data to the contrary, you know, where we'll get, so I'm sure Dana probably has even more case studies. Well, you'll send out 100 b- emails, you get 10 people that want to talk to you. And you'll get another 50 positive responses, you know, that say, hey, this is not the right time, but thanks for reaching out. And one of the more, I think, interesting philosophical points that came up in the discussion on the DC forum was that if you have to invest in outreach services, or if you have to invest in cold outreach, you know, if you imagine yourself like half your day doing prospecting on the internet or somebody in your office, for example, that that's actually like a type of a tax that you're paying for having not made products in the first place that were interesting enough for your other customers or your best customers to refer them to other people or for people to refer them via word of mouth themselves because of their sort of baked in remarkability. What do you think about that? I think that there's no doubt that remarkable products generally get passed on by word of mouth and that that can be a very strong form of marketing and customer retention. But I'll tell you a little bit of a story. We may have told this story before. When we were first starting our business, and I think this question definitely matters in the context of a timeline. When is this coming into play? You know, The tax for not being creative. Is, is it at the beginning of your business? Is it five years in? Because at the beginning of our business, when we we're starting the valet spot where we used to manufacture and distribute valet parking equipment, I remember sitting down in the conference room, having scraped the internet, for a list. I think we had like two or 300 valet companies. We hired somebody in the Philippines to make this list for us. First thing, like half the list was no good. <laughs> so you're going down the list, calling these people in the conference room on speakerphone, asking them about their current provider, asking them about the problems that they're having, and then also telling them what our solution is. Hey, we've got this new piece of equipment. We think that you should try it out. Love to hear your feedback. Here's a discount, things like that. That process in our business, getting off the ground, getting our first 100 customers was absolutely essential. Because we didn't have any customers and because we didn't have any product in the field, there was nothing worth talking about. There was nothing remarkable about our company either. We're two guys. You're trying to solve problems, essentially. Yeah, and we're just trying to solve problems. So that was our creative solution in the beginning, was cold outreach and connecting with people and figuring out what people's problems were. A lot of 
these attitudes are essentially attitudes about internet marketing itself as an industry. And the fact that we're on the internet looking at marketing, drinking the fire hose of Twitter all day long, that's not how professionals behave, particularly in B2B businesses on a day-to-day basis, right? They're sitting at their desk trying to solve really unique, difficult problems. And if someone in their industry sends them an email or calls them up saying, hey, I'm sort of focused on the problems that you're working on eight hours a day that you got a lot of budget to try to solve and that's causing you a pain in the butt right now, they're going to want to talk to you, right? And so I think sometimes we take these attitudes that are honed from like being subscribed to all these mailing lists and all that kind of stuff. And we assume that everyday people that work in businesses approach marketing in the same way that professional marketers do. And we're all getting spammed. And some of us are getting spammed from large companies. You know, I see like the same emails come through my inbox with offers from very large companies. And you have to think these companies have metrics and they're following those metrics and they're spending less than they're making. So I would have to assume that it's in general working for them, even though like maybe I've caught on and it's not working towards me. Even if you are, and I think for philosophical, moral, or stylistic, or taste, or lifestyle reasons, you choose to do purely word-of-mouth remarkability marketing. First off, the book that you must read if you're into this is Purple Cow by Seth Godin. That is sort of the Bible. And if you're into that and you want to see the philosophical roots, go back to permission marketing. That's essentially what we're talking about here, also by Seth Godin. The reality is, is that most companies that get traction that way they cross the aisle and start doing the other kind of marketing as well. Because how are you going to grow your company? Apple creates a great product. Well, of course, they're going to go invest in ads and they're going to do targeted outreach at that point and vice versa. If you make a bunch of profit doing personalized targeted outreach like you did back at the valet spot, what you came up with eventually a few years on was a product that was so remarkable that the customers started sharing it in and amongst themselves. Did you get one of these new podiums from the guys over at the valet spot yet? Most companies end up going across the aisle and, and using both forms of marketing. Yeah. So there's this drink in Spain that's sort of everywhere. It's like Spanish Gatorade, and it's called Aquarius. It's basically in every shop that you go to in Spain. So I'm just like, ugh, Aquarius. I'm not going to drink that stuff. So anyway, fast forward few weeks or whatever. And I'm watching this race on TV and this awesome bike racer like finishes, he wins the stage. He's a hero. And of course, like Aquarius is some kind of sponsor of his team. Right. And so like right on television, his teammate hands him this like ice cold Aquarius, like congratulations, you won. And this guy's like drinking this Aquarius, like giving the, you know, interview after the race or whatever. And in my mind, this product completely changed. Like <laughs> I drink this stuff all the time. Always keep it in the fridge. You never know when you're going to need an Aquarius. Ian. <laughs> Is that remarkability? Or was there a cold outreach brand sponsor that reached out to that cycling team and sponsored them? You know, who knows? But either way, I'm drinking a lot of Aquarius. Yeah, you know, we aren't the only people with opinions about this. Dana weighed in with his perspective as well. Investing in more long-term strategies, you know, such as content marketing is a a big thing in the past few years, but it takes a while to pay off. Things like that are great, but using things like outbound emails and outbound campaigns is a great way for any company to grow their revenue quickly. But particularly, it's great for new companies and, you know, new entrepreneurs to get that first uphill swing in their business. You know, not only is it great to help them get those first clients, but it's also great for them to 
get that initial feedback on what it is they're offering. Do people even want it? It's really hard to get yourself out there in, in front of people and to get feedback on your service if you're just a guy with an idea who put up a website and you don't know anyone yet. Yeah. So how do you know if this is a good idea that you want to be sinking the next 12 months of your life into? I think it's a great outlet for people to not just make sales, but also learn more about what it is that they're, they're selling and learn more about their market. What I'll say to that is that even when I've come across those companies that are, are remarkable, even on a bigger scale than that, it's still not enough. You know, They might get tons of referrals. They might get tons of inbound traffic. They might have everything set up. They might be doing really cool articles. And they still just don't have enough business to go where they want to go. That's where it takes going out to the market. I've sent a lot of cold emails myself. If I find somebody's book interesting, I'll write them a cold email and say, hey, ask them to come speak at my event or I'll ask them to come onto my podcast or whatever. And then I think about content marketing. And, you know, we're kind of new into this game of content marketing and everybody's writing a book and everybody's putting out a blog and everything. And well, a lot of that is insidious, too, because you're actually asking for a great deal of people's time to read your content that's supposedly helpful, but is compromised by the fundamental idea that it's made to funnel people into your product. So it actually could be more insidious. Yeah, exactly. I think that the transparency is really key in your sales process. You know, Letting people know that you're selling them something to help them can be a lot more straightforward than a long article and free strategy sessions. Then all of a sudden, you just spring this thing on them. <laughs> <laughs> Another thing is that becoming remarkable is going to help you. And you might have to, you might do a little bit less outbound than you did once you become remarkable and you're getting tons of referrals and everyone knows your name. But it might take years to get to that point and your business might not survive until you reach that milestone. You seem like a pretty adept salesman. Were you always that way? No, no. I started out in a sales position and I didn't realize I was in a sales position and I didn't really take ownership of it. And eventually my boss, who was awesome, this was an animation studio in New York and I got landed this gig. He's like, hey, you're in sales. Uh, do you maybe want sales training one of these days? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that's probably a good idea. So I got sales training. And it was sort of a job I fell into. So it was, it was really fortunate. What sort of things do they teach you in the sales training, Dan? It's hard to boil it all down, but essentially the process, essentially staying ahead of things, being persistent when you need to. It's really not a world away from what people might be used to in internet marketing. If you're running Facebook ads, you're running Google ads, the problem is, is that you're not detached on a computer looking at a screen seeing these dips go up and down you're actually in the trenches you know in this war where emotions are at hand and people are telling you that your product's no good and you know they're annoyed because maybe you you called one too many times <laughs> and the, the trick is still you know creating that feedback loop making yourself better not getting deterred by that you know i've been selling for the better part of a decade and it's still not completely seamless it's not like i never experience anxiety during it it still takes preparation, you know, so, but it's, you have to do it. I mean, it's the resistance that you have to lean into, I think, if you want to grow any sort of high-end business, so to speak. I think one of the biggest things that people struggle with when they get started with Outbound is staying consistent with it. Lots of, especially solopreneurs will, you know, get the idea that they need to start doing Outbound emails. So they'll go out and they'll start trying to every day, you know, put a few names into a spreadsheet and send them out. And that just becomes like something that they need to do every day. And eventually, after a couple of weeks, they, they fall off the wagon doing it. And this presents a couple of problems. One is that doing it this way will never you know, give you a sufficient amount of data to learn 
what it is that you need to change about your campaigns to actually produce results through them. So I always recommend any entrepreneur, particularly someone who's you know just getting started on their own and doesn't have a lot of time on their hands to get certain things off their plate immediately. I think the cheapest way to get this done is to hire a simple VA to go out and find these leads for you, find the email addresses and handle the sending of the emails and also you know, the management of the leads as they come in. So you're just talking to interested people. The next way is to use like a service such as, you know, maybe a lead fuse or something that is kind of half done for you, but you still need to set your own parameters as well. And of course, the high end solution is a service like Dan or mine, or there's, there's many of them out there. And I'm not saying this to pitch either of our services. I simply say that consistency is the key here. They need to be going constantly. And most campaigns get better over time because you learn through the responses that you do get, both positive and negative. And you can take that information and, you know, make a very positive and successful campaign that not just, you know, makes your company more money, but also helps those people in your target market to succeed as well. Thanks for joining me on the podcast, guys. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Hey, and big thanks to Dan Englander and Dana Lindell all the DC members that weighed into that conversation, which was, we couldn't have included everyone. Those were just the first two that I, I thought to reach out to, but it was a cool conversation. It was just cool to see where everybody's coming from. I mean, there are lots of interesting mechanics here, but for me personally, I think it boils down to taste and to your vision as a leader of your company. Like, What sort of marketing are you guys interested in? What are you good at? What resonates with your target market? I mean, there's just going to be target markets where certain things work better than others. And, you know, Ian, me and you are like a part of the spaghetti school of marketing. You just throw it all against the wall, you know, you just figure out what's going to work. Yeah. I mean, moral qualms aside, like I'm trying everything. I want to see if I can get this business off the ground or I want to see if I can make this business sustainable. If cold email outreach or whatnot becomes a part of my process because it's profitable and ultimately that's what we're trying to do is grow profitable businesses to change our lives you better believe that's going to be part of my process. I don't think it's like a said and done thing that just because you're reaching out to people cold through email that they're necessarily going to be bad clients. They could be your best clients. You don't know that really until you try and tailor that message. And ultimately, all marketing is about understanding the problems of your client. That's the critical thing. To me, the two biggest takeaways, number one, you got to understand who you're marketing to And you have to talk to them. You got to know them personally. That's the biggest thing. The way people screw this up is they sit behind the keyboard and they send off 200 emails and they wait for one to come back. I mean, good luck with that. I mean, you sow what you reap, right? If that's the way that you're going to approach your business, you're going to get what you're putting out into the world. But, you know, if you're sending targeted, useful messages to people that you understand and that you can help, well, then that could be a great way to grow your business. So the other thing, Ian, the, the second takeaway for me, don't easy button any of this stuff. You know, it doesn't matter how smart the service provider that does this outreach for you is. It doesn't matter how great of English your writer who lives across the world writes. You have to be involved in this process at the beginning. You can't just easy button marketing. I mean, this is probably the most critical part of your whole business. If you don't get your marketing right, then you're not going to generate sales. You're not going to generate income. That's the bottom line. So, you know, I just think it's so common for people just to tack on this kind of stuff. And ultimately what you're going to do is if you're just having a third party going out there spamming a bunch of people, the reality is, is that those customers are probably going to be bad customers and you 
end up costing you money. Yeah, like you said, they could become bad customers, but you could also snag the one person that's heard about you before that that cold email hit them just at the right time, and then they turn into your best client. So there's a lot of serendipity, I think, with all these processes. And certainly you have to figure out what works best with your company and what works best with your budget and your moral compass. Either way, we both believe just get on it. That's the bottom line. Don't let the interest and philosophical intrigue hold you back from taking action going and making some sales. Have we managed to be at all controversial? I don't know. We'd love to hear your thoughts. This one is going to be posted at tropicalmba.com slash marketing methods. Sign up for our mailing list. We're going to spam the crap out of you. That's the bottom line. Sign up tropicalmba.com slash subscribe. Critique our marketing tactics, our heavy-handed marketing tactics. All right, boss man. We'll see you next week. See you then. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time.